0: to the Lansing Area Church of Christ's weekly message podcast. If you'd like to learn more about LACC, please visit us online at lansingchurch.org. This week, Joel Nagel continues the Love Without Limit sermon series with a sermon discussing John chapter 15 called Friend of God. Is this on? Yeah, it's on. There we go. Um, I'm going to start by praying uh, from Psalm 57. Um, And there's just one part of verse 6 that I want to pray about, and it simply says, the psalmist David says, my soul was bowed down. And I don't know if any of us are feeling that as we come to worship this morning, but if you are, I especially want to pray for you. Uh, It's one thing to feel like the weight of the world on your shoulders or physically tired or emotionally tired, but sometimes we get to a point where our souls are bowed down and, uh, and I just want to pray for you in that. So let's pray. Uh, Lord, uh, we just thank you so much that in the Psalms, uh, there's just this, this range of emotion and human experience uh, that is, is so deep and touching and personal. And, uh, and so often we feel those same things. And I do pray for anyone who feels like David felt in this moment. I know we sang about dancing like David. Uh, but sometimes we can feel uh, maybe our souls bowed down like David, and I don't even know exactly what that looks like, but I can kind of picture it and feel it, and uh, And I pray for anyone whose soul is, is in that place, that you could come and comfort them yourself, Lord, uh, and that they could feel the comfort of their brothers and sisters here. Uh, pray for this message. Please be with us as we, uh, as we touch on maybe the most important words uh, in all of Scripture today. Um, and... Uh, we uh, just pray for your spirit to be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. No pressure on this sermon, but it's a big deal. Um, we're going to look in John 15. This is super echoey. Does uh, is it, is it sound okay to you guys? Okay, I'll push through then. Um, we're going to be in John chapter 15 as we continue our series. Uh, I agree with John, uh, but we're going to start in Isaiah 25, if you want to turn your Bibles there. Um, I do want to say happy Mother's Day to all the moms uh, I've been, uh, actually learned a really amazing um, just insights and been praying about uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, a lot over the, over the past few weeks, um, but it doesn't line up with today. But in a few weeks, when we get into John chapter 20, uh, we'll, we'll hear, I think, a really insightful, uh, at least for me, it's been so good to, to think about um, Mary. And so we can look forward to that. Isaiah 25, in verse 6, the Bible reads, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, We'll stop right there because Isaiah shifts gears and dunks on Moab. But this, is, this section of Isaiah uh, is a very, it's what we call a messianic section, which means it was looking forward to when the Savior would come. And it would have been, this, this passage in particular, filled the imaginations of God's people, this idea of this great feast on a mountain. Can you, can you picture that? A great feast on a mountain. You get up, you climb this mountain, and you get there. And and, and I apologize to all the vegetarians. It does mention marrow, so I had to. There had to be some meat in this picture here. Um, but I'm sure that all of the allergies and sensitivities, God's got that worked out. Okay. Uh, but there's this this feast, and you can just I just I picture just food is falling off of the table when you get to the top of the mountain. And there is well-aged, it says a couple times it talks about the well-aged, well-refined wine. Like this is God throwing a banquet for his people. And there's more, as we as you, as you we read here, there's more. And I encourage you, you know, look over Isaiah 25 this week. It's so amazing. Um, it should be something that, that also fills up our hearts as we'll see. Um, but there's more to it than just the food. We're told that a veil will be lifted. That Death will be no more. Our tears will be wiped away. Sin will be dealt with. And it says we've waited. God's people, we've waited. We've waited. We've waited for centuries. This is what God's people were waiting for when they were waiting for Jesus, when they were looking, when they were saying, when you read in the Gospels and they say things like, could this be the Messiah? Or I think this is Him. This is, these are the pictures that were in their heads that were filling their imaginations as they were waiting for God to send his salvation, his Savior. And just as Isaiah 52 and 53, if you're familiar with that, that's that's where Isaiah foretells the suffering servant, that Jesus is going to come and die on the cross. Just as as those verses foretell Jesus' death on the cross, this passage foretells this feast that's going to happen on the mountain. Okay? And so... What we've been reading about, as we've been in John 13, 14, now 15, and and through 17, John 13 through 17, a quarter of the Gospel of John is, is dedicated to this feast that Jesus has with his disciples on the Mount of Olives. And it doesn't happen exactly how we would think as we read this or how Israel predicted it would happen, but here's Jesus having a feast on a mountain with his people. And I believe as we get to John chapter 15 today, the lights are starting to turn on for the disciples at this dinner. Maybe they're even putting the pieces together. They're thinking, this, could, this, is, this is like what Isaiah talked about. The veil is being removed. And we're starting to see what's going on here. Could this, this be it? And, and there'll be more of a connection toward the end. Let's look in John chapter 15. You can turn your Bibles there. You know, when we, when we look at John 15, and we spent some time last summer in John chapter 15, uh, we're moving to the heart of this dinner. Actually, I think it's an after-dinner walk that, that happens, because the very last verse of John 14 is, rise, let us go. And they're on this mountain which had an olive grove and a vineyard um, next to Jerusalem. And I think that, as, we, as we'll read in a moment here, that Jesus was, they were walking through the vineyard, and Jesus stopped to give his disciples what I believe is the heart of the gospel, maybe the heart of the entire word of God. There's really, there really is a case for this being the most important passage in all of the Bible. Here are a few reasons why I believe that. Um, I believe it because, first of all, last words count. You want your last words to be meaningful. Jesus definitely, I believe, wanted his last words to be meaningful, and this is the last teaching He gives his disciples. This is on the night that he's going to be betrayed. This is also the longest section of his teaching. This is longer than the Sermon on the Mount. John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. All of this teaching from Jesus in this moment. And then the last thing, and I won't totally get into this, is is the structure of this. John structures this. People see this as a chiasm, which is like the the picture you can see here with a, a pebble dropped in water. And it kind of radiates out. And there are a few places, like the book of Lamentations is organized in this way, where the very middle is is the most important thing. But we read it from, you know, 13 to 17. But chapter 15 is in the middle. And what happens is, if you look at it, 15 is its own thing. And then there are parts of chapter 14 and 16 that coincide with each other. Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit in both of those. And then chapter 13 and 17 is all about unity. They're very different. Washing feet and loving people, and then praying for unity. But it really seems like it, everything kind of radiates from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. And when I say everything radiates from that, I mean everything radiates from that, not just the book of John or even the Bible. This is it right here, okay? Um, so not to put any pressure on this sermon, but here we go. Uh, 15, verses 1 through 17, if we, if we look at this through... The, this upper room feast through the lens of Isaiah chapter 25, then this is, this is the moment. This is centuries of waiting, of people saying, we're waiting for this feast, we're waiting for this to happen on the mount. This is the moment where God's people get to finally sit down and eat this messianic meal with God himself, just as Isaiah foretold. This is the moment that we're going into. If you were following along for the first time, I think you would, there'd be so much excitement. You'd be like, oh, they're, gonna, they're having dinner with Jesus now? This is it? This is the moment we've been waiting for. And you would go into the, you'd go into the room, and you would think things like this, like, okay, we've been waiting to see God in this moment. This is what Isaiah told us to look for. And before you go in, you think, what will God be like when I open these doors? I get to sit down and have a meal with God, what will God be like? I want you to think about that. Like if you were going to, there's a closed door in front of you, and you're going to go in and have a meal with God. That's kind of what we're all waiting for, right? What will God be like? Have you ever thought about that? What will he be like? How will he conduct himself at dinner? What do you think? What will he say to you? What will he say to his people? Well, we think about what we've already seen in these chapters, and Jesus has been showing the twelve, now eleven. Judas is off doing his thing, but he's been showing them what it really looks like to follow him. And so he starts by he starts the meal. This is probably not what you would expect when you walked into dinner with God by stripping down and getting a, you know a bowl and and water, and a towel, and and washing everyone's feet. And then talking about the importance of love. And now he's talked to them about the Father, his Father. He's talked to them about the Spirit that's coming. He's talked to them about him, himself, what he's doing. And he's trying to, God isn't coming like, hey, make sure you do this. Like if I was having a last meal, I'd be like, okay, make sure you do this, do this, do this. He's He's coming to comfort them. Hey, this will comfort you. If you think about it like this. I'm going away, but I'm coming back. It's all good, everybody. We're good. And so as I said, I think they get up then after John 14, which we looked at last week, and and they take this stroll, after-dinner stroll, and this is what Jesus talks about. This is what God talks about during this mealtime that includes, I think, this walk. He says this. Let's read in John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. All right, so what do we learn about God from this passage, from what Jesus tells his disciples at this dinner. The first thing that I think we see is the importance of connection. And I wonder even, you know, that we know the disciples are tired at this point. They've just eaten this huge meal. And I don't know about you, but when I'm tired and I've eaten a huge meal, I'm not the most focused person. So I wonder if they're walking through the vineyard and Jesus is like, you'll, you know, you'll get pruned and he's showing them like a branch that's not doing very good. And You know, you're thrown into the the heap to be burned, and there's like a heap right there, and they're like, you know, just keeping their attention. I I wonder about that. But the thing he talks about, he keeps talking about abiding and, and being connected, and that our success as disciples is based on connection. Our success as disciples is based on connection. I want you to think about what that means about God. God himself is saying that the only way we can bear fruit, that we can have a good life, that we can impact the world for the good, is by being connected. That's the only way. And if we aren't connected, we have no hope of bearing fruit. And even when we are connected, we will be pruned so that we'll be even more connected. What does that tell us about God in this maybe most important passage about God? Well, it tells me that he really wants to be connected to us. You know, I think a lot of times we view connection with God from our side, like it's this task, maybe even a chore, and we are good-hearted about it. Like, it's a good chore, like we need to do this, but I need to read my Bible, and I need to pray, and I need to be at church. Good job being at church. And I, these are the things that I need to do. And we want to do those things, but I think we might have it backwards what if we stop seeing connection to God from our side as this task that we do to benefit ourselves, and instead we see it as God's task that He completed through Jesus? The connection's already there. You, may, I think we think we want to be like I want. I want to be so connected to God, and God's like, Have you read the Bible? <laughs> That's the big picture. That's the story. The whole thing is God doing everything he can to be connected to us. We're already connected. That's amazing. When we get to the feast on the mountain, and we see what God is like, this is what he's like. He wants you at that table. That's what he's like. His smile, when he sees you, we were talking about like what would it would be like when we walk in and we see God. When he sees you, oh, he's, he, his smile couldn't be bigger. This is what I've been waiting for. We're connected. Let's abide in that connection. Accept it. Let's see that as the, as the, the real reality. That's the truth of it. And I think Satan and the world and our emotions... And all kinds of things make us feel disconnected from God. but That's just a feeling. It's not real. We're connected. He's the vine. God's the vine dresser. Like, he's making it grow. How glorious to walk into this messianic meal and see an open seat with your name etched in the chair after centuries of God working on your behalf. That's the reality. Amen? There's another thing I see here, so connection and also friendship. Um, And I think this is hugely important that, that, a hugely important thing that we can learn about God in this ultimate moment. Like Jesus could have talked about anything in this moment. And he chooses to talk about friendship. And so we read this, I want to read it again in John 15 15 through 17. He says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Could this be the very center of God's heart? Those two verses, three verses. First of all, it breaks my heart on the night that Jesus is about to be betrayed Judas is already doing his thing Jesus is like okay what do i need i need these guys to to hear this this one last thing the most important thing of all this is what i i need them to hear you are my friends that's Jesus okay and they aren't the only ones we get to be God's friends you know, that's what Jesus would say. That's what God would say. When you walk into the feast on the mountain, God would say, my friend is here. It's my friend. What? It's incredible. You walk up this mountain. You enter the, the messianic feast that's been planned for, from all of creation. You lay eyes on God, and what do you see? A friend. You know, Jesus tells them, he tells them why they're his friends. And it reminds me of an episode from the life of Abraham in Genesis chapter 18. You can go ahead and turn there. We're going all the places in the Bible today. Um, But Jesus says, you're my friends because I've made known everything to you. I've told you all the things. And look at this in Genesis 18. I'll give you some context Abraham and Sarah are hanging out in this, you know, can, you can imagine, they lived in this giant tent um, underneath, it's called the Oaks of Mamre, which just sounds like one of the special places that ever existed in the world, this oak grove called Mamre. And that's where Abraham and Sarah are living. And these three visitors show up in chapter 18. And Abraham knows that these are not ordinary visitors. It says he bowed low to these three visitors. And then he runs off and tells Sarah, he's like, Sarah, Get the kitchen going. And they didn't have refrigeration back then, and so get the kitchen going meant uh, get, restart the oven. It would've, they would have only used it in the morning, and this is the afternoon. Get the oven fired up, milk the goats, uh, make some bread, kill one of the goats, uh, make the goat. Uh, like, it's a big process, but the three visitors stay, and they have a feast with Abraham and Sarah. Um, And scholars have have long associated with, and if you read this, you'd be like, well, that's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the Trinity right there visiting, somehow mystically visiting Abraham for lunch. Here's the thing. God's always wanted to feast with his people. Always. And so here's what happens after the feast. Genesis chapter 18, verse 16. And I haven't turned there yet. Katie, I'm with you. Um, 18, verse 16. It says, then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. oh And Abraham went with them to see them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all nations from the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. And so uh, these guys are leaving, and one of them, I think the, the Jesus of the three, turns back and says, Oh, you know what? Abraham should know what I'm about to do and what's happening. And he turns back and he fills in Abraham. This is, this is what is about to happen. And then I want you, this is, you can write these passages down, but Abraham then is called a friend of God more than anyone else in the Bible. And it's the same Jesus says, You're my friends because you know. Um, everything, I've told you everything. Abraham is a friend of God. God is telling him everything after this meal. Um, And so I want to talk about two, two things about friendship here. And the first one is that friends let each other in. You know, a friend is someone you can be open with, real with, honest with. You can have arguments with. You can go back and forth. If you're married, I hope that you're married to your best friend. If you want to be married, I hope that you find your best friend. You know what that means? You're also going to have some bumps along the way because you're trying to be best friends with this whole other human that you're sharing life with. And that's true of marriage. That's true of all of our friendships. It takes consideration and bravery to be honest with someone And let them in. Let them know what you're really thinking and feeling. That takes bravery. That's what friends do. Isn't it amazing that that God, here with Abraham, and then at the Last Supper with his disciples, and us through the Bible, through the Word, God has opened up to us. God has let us in. We can read the Word of God and know God's heart. God wants to be your friend. You get to the great feast on the mountain, and you find a friend. God has let you in on the plan. This is pretty amazing, too. After Abraham is let in on what God is going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah, he's on his knees praying one of the greatest intercessory prayers. After Jesus lets his disciples know what what is happening and lets them in and calls them friends, in John 17, which we'll get to in two weeks, Jesus gives an even greater intercessory prayer. He prays for himself, for his disciples. He even prays for us. Here's the other truth about friends you choose your friends. You don't get to choose your family. You have family. It's amazing, you know, in in our church, we refer to each other as brothers and sisters. Hey, bro. Maybe even say, hey, bro. Hey, sis. It's real cheesy, borderline cringy. That's what we do. Uh, We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's the thing. We didn't really get to choose each other, did we? Like somebody gets baptized, they're part of the church now, it's, that's, that's my brother, that's my sister, but would you have picked that person? I don't let's be honest, I don't know, okay, but here we are, right? Just like a real family. But even within the church and within our lives, we have friendships, and that's different. Because we get to choose our friends. I think in a lot of ways that makes friendship more special than blood. Uh, it's maybe a bigger deal to have a friend in Christ than a brother and sister in Christ. And I think this is why um, John 15 should just blow our minds. Jesus' blood on the cross, what he's about to do on the cross, is going to make us family. Jesus is our brother. And that would be enough. Like, okay. Thank you, Jesus. This is amazing. But it's not enough for Jesus. Jesus. He looks at his disciples and he says, no, I choose you. You're my friends. I choose you. This isn't a forced relationship with God. He wants us. He wants his disciples to know that. You know, at, uh, at Amelia's school, uh, there is a bench out front called the Buddy Bench. Okay, looks a lot like this. Um, And it has this plaque on it that says, if you need a friend, you can sit here, and someone will come and sit with you. I have never seen anyone sit on that bench. Um, And as an 80s kid who was a high school wrestler, that would be like, I'd be watching the bench to see if anyone sat down to make a list of who gets a swirly or a wedgie uh, next. Uh, uh, Like, okay, buddy bench. More like bully bench. I'm just telling you where I'm coming from, okay? Um, But you know what, I, I think that Jesus would sit there. And he would wait for someone to come and sit with him. You know, one of the mistakes that we make with Jesus is we dehumanize him in so many ways. We forget that he was a person just like us. And one of the ways we do that is we compartmentalize like our favorite flavors of Jesus. Like, oh, I like this Jesus and a little bit of this Jesus. Not so much that Jesus, but give me more of this Jesus. Uh, One of the ways you do this, um, you know, you could, I think today people love social justice, Jesus. And amen, social justice is is a good thing. And you could read the Bible and you could see Jesus served the poor. He loved the downtrodden. He helped the sick. And you could say Jesus cared about social justice. Except there was no such thing as social justice in the time of Jesus. We're taking something that's in our world and putting it on to Jesus and Jesus. And make, really creating something new. We're reading our passions into Jesus and forgetting that he was a person. And so maybe it's not social justice Jesus. Maybe it's Jesus is a good friend to all kinds of people, and we should be too. The thing about like labeling Jesus like social justice Jesus, or um, conservative marriage views Jesus, or whatever Jesus you want to label him as, Whenever you put a label on Jesus, there's another side of people who think, well, that's not Jesus. How about friend? Uh, Yep, that's Jesus. (laughs) You can't fight against that. It's hard to be against that message. Jesus, you know, he's not this movement or that movement or this cause. He just loves being a good friend. Can you be a good friend too? Changes the whole world. Here's the thing. Human friendships will disappoint from time to time. Starts in grade school on the playground, keeps going. You're going to feel excluded, forgotten, confused by friendships in the world. But Jesus is always going to be sitting on that buddy bench. You know, I know that I want to take a lot of comfort in that in my life. I want to practice feeling the presence of God. There's this table. So I was down in San Antonio a couple weeks ago at this uh, seminary. And at, it's a beautiful piece of land property this seminary has. And there's this table. This is the table. And that's Jesus. He's breaking bread. And he's got his cup of wine at this big, empty table. And you can have lunch with Jesus. And people do. People go and sit down next to Jesus and have lunch. When I was there, there was actually some food like piled up around him. And I think like at night the raccoons come and take it away. People are like, it's a miracle. Um, I don't know. Um, and uh, but I, so I had a conversation with somebody sitting at the table. And it was hard, even with Jesus physically there in the form of a giant statue, it was hard to remember that Jesus was there. And so I know it's tough, the, the work that it takes to to start to feel the presence of God, this gift of the Holy Spirit that we'll talk about more next week. But it's so worth it. It's so worth it to work on that in our lives. Amen? Um, What are some some things that we can do to build our friendship with God? First thing is, and it's the same things is have all of the slides. Where did we go? Um, Okay. Um, First thing is, sorry, um, I don't have slides for this. Uh, The first thing is choose Jesus. Jesus chose you have you chosen Jesus? I know that seems so simple, but I, I think that there—I know that there are there are at least a few people here um, who've never fully committed to Jesus. Uh, you get to choose your friends. You have to choose if you want Jesus to be your friend. Uh, he's waiting at the table. He's waiting for you. Study the Bible. Learn the story. He wants to fill you in on the big picture, on everything God's been planning. For you, and from the beginning to the very end, that's what studying the Bible is all about. Have you chosen Jesus? Is he your friend? He's sitting at the table. The feast is laid out. There's a place for you there. Amen. Amen? And the second thing is let him in. When's the last time you just got gut level honest with Jesus like you would a good friend? You'll be amazed at how you feel after spilling your guts to God, letting Jesus into your life. Alright, as we close out, here's the big takeaway I want us to have from this sermon, which I think is the most important chapter. I'll tell you, I did not do it justice. Couldn't even touch it. Couldn't even come close. Uh, Did my best. There you go. But I'm like intimidated by John 15. Um, But here's what I want us to get out of it. When you approach God, when you think about who God is, and what it would be like to beat him, I just, I want us to see a friend or dinner. That's who Jesus is. That's who God is. We saw it in Genesis 18. We saw it in Isaiah chapter 25. We see it here in John 13 through 17, the Last Supper. Like, this is a consistent theme throughout the Bible. And we're going to see it one more place. Let's look in Revelation 21 to end out. This is. This is John, the same author that wrote the Gospel of John. And, and this is where I think he it clicked. Like, remember, so you're going to hear some of the language from Isaiah 25. And John's like, oh, that, that's what this was. This last supper meal ushered in the meal, the messianic meal, the feast on the mountain with God. And this is what John says. He says then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It's a wedding feast. That's even better. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and he will be, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's Isaiah 25. And death shall be no more, Isaiah 25. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. What's the most central thing in all of the Bible, maybe? What's the dream of God? It's just this. We get to be his friend. Amen? Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Lansing Area Church of Christ. While we're happy to share this message via podcast, we'd love to pray and worship with you in person. To learn more about our services or to connect with us, please visit us at lansingchurch.org. Have a great week and go with God.